Welcome to episode 469 of Cinematary. I'm your host, Zach Dennis, and I'm here with... Grace Winburn. And Andrew Swafford. In today's episode, we'll be talking about movies that we saw this week in part two, or in part one. Whoa, we're mixing it's it gonna up. Be, it's going to sure. be one of those, it's gonna be one of those <laughs> nights. Uh, Sleep day, anything can happen. Yeah, we're just going to kick it off with the part two movie. Uh, and then in part two, we're going to be continuing our Betty and Jones series with 1950s All About Eve. A banger uh, movie. Great movie. So good. Spoiler alert. Great movie. Um, well, cool. Let's jump into it. Uh, out of the stuff that I've seen this past couple weeks, I got All of Us Strangers, which got like pretty solid acclaim, but then never came anywhere... I don't know about y'all. I never, it never played anywhere near me, despite wanting to go see it. I think it played in Knoxville, but definitely not at like the big theaters. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure. But uh, for those those interested, it's now on Hulu. Um, nice. But for the uh, unacquainted with the with the movie, uh, All of Us Strangers, directed by Andrew Haig, um, stars Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal. Um, and follows one night screenwriter Adam in his near empty tower block in contemporary London has a chance encounter with his mysterious neighbor, Harry, that punctures the rhythm of his everyday life. As Adam and Harry get closer, Adam is pulled back to his childhood home where he discovers that his long dead parents are both living and look the same age as the day they died over 30 years ago. Um, so yeah, Andrew Scott plays Adam. Paul Mescal is the mysterious neighbor, um, Harry. And then uh, Adam's parents are played by Jamie Bell and Claire Foy. Um, and it's a pretty, like, like that's pretty much all the people you you interact with in this movie. Um, um, I'm relatively familiar with Andrew Haig. I've seen, like, 45 years. I haven't seen, what is it, Weekend? Um, yeah. yeah. So that, I think 45 years is honestly probably the only one I've seen. Um, but this one, this one's pretty, this one's, this one's like, this one's good. Um, it just kind of has like this moodiness, this kind of neon, uh, neon moodiness to it. Um, not, that's not necessarily like Wong Kar Wai, but like, you know, in the same like vibe path, you know, it's a lot of like the, uh, you have like one portion where, uh, Adam and Harry go to like this nightclub and it's the coolest nightclub ever because they're playing pet shop boys. <laughs> and, uh, and that you have this whole sequence where you like cut from Frankie goes to Hollywood's the power of love into um, always on my mind by pet shop boys. And it's honestly like the like greatest, like, one song to the other I've seen in a movie in a while. Like it just, it's just like hits great. And it's all like, you're in like a depression mood <laughs> being sad, but it's like a nice, like comforting, comforting, sad. It's great. Um, so the vibes are pretty immaculate in a lot of the movie. Um, and it just kind of has this like very lonely, distant um, uh, uh, quality to it that, you know, I think for people, I'm trying to compare it for, for, you know, I think you could compare it to like Spike Jones movies or like Mike Mills movies, like just kind of like this, um, this kind of moody sadness that like is not like oppressive, but just kind of is like this, this kind of nice little vibe. Um, and like all the people in it are excellent actors. Like it's impacted, like Andrew Scott is fantastic in this. I'm surprised he didn't get um, like an Oscar nomination uh, Paul Mescal uh, is is definitely secondary, but like it, it's he's just one of those like every time he comes in he he's just really great. <laughs> he's just he's really good. It's uh, it's I saw somebody on Twitter who was just like you know Paul Mescal and all of us strangers just tells us that like if Paul Mescal shows up and is like sexy and depressed like you know this movie's gonna be a ride and it's, it's very much in that it's in that you know <laughs> it, it follows that after sun normal people uh you know path that he's going on he's great in it um if, honestly if he was like if he was sexy and depressed and gladiator too like that could be a great movie um but 
like their like their romance from beginning to like just kind of the the you know they're both people who seem very distant to others and have like kind of found this connection between the two of them they have this really um one of the better shot um like sex scenes in a movie in a while like just this very like intimate um um like very caring like very uh uh like it reminds me of honestly some of the sex scenes that he has and like normal people or where like it's just very like conscious of the people like there is like this kind of human quality to it it's not just kind of there to like go from one point to the other or just kind of be in there to be in there like it's a it's a, like it, it does add a lot of layers to not only their relationship but like the story and kind of who these two people are and then but i think the real the real meat for me of the of the movie is when so the way it kind of works it reminds me a lot of like a ghost story in terms of just like you know uh uh like kind of depressive vibe movies like it reminds me a lot of a ghost story not only in um that he's talking to ghost technically when he's talking to his parents but also just because it's a movie that is very um that's constantly um very aware of like spaces and places like moments like kind of time froze like moments of time frozen in like how that affects like a house or um like a restaurant or something like that um it, because uh what kind of triggers this is um andrew scott goes back to his childhood home and it's just kind of like looking around it and then like his parents are there um, which so it's almost like kind of activating like this portal into this world um, but it's very you know there's no you're not explaining the science like they never like go into that it's which I appreciate it's, it, it just kind of is like they're here they're gonna have conversations I that that's just what we're dealing with here that's just what mm -hmm. we're working with um, and the majority of the conversation so his parents he he, uh, he was um, like a teenager when they died in a car crash uh, one night and both of them died and he talks about it like that he had you know went and lived with his grandmother and you know so it had been 30 years since this had happened and like a lot of the conversations that he had at the time like he didn't get to come out to them like that you know and so when they're like initially having conversations they're um they're not having it when they're asking about his life and, and knowing that he is you know a gay man you know when they're asking about stuff going on and so there's like a really you know you have two really strong scenes with each parent the first with claire foy playing the mother where um you know it's not like a it's not like a super cliche like you know i you know I hate this. You need to get out of my house. But like, you can tell that she definitely has like a distance to it and kind of like a, a lot of it seems based on like misunderstandings of like <clears throat> adults in the 1980s who probably are not um, engaging in conversations about the LGBTQ community a, a lot. So there, you can tell, and, and he kind of uh, points this out to her, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that she's basing it off of are, is like, you know stuff in the news about aids and and uh preconceptions like through through media and things like that and so that they have a conversation and he you can tell he's very after having this really nice first uh interaction with the two of them he goes the second time and has this very like distant conversation where his mom is uh very much like an arm's length from him whenever he reveals that um and then later he has a he, he goes back and has a conversation with his dad um which i think is probably the best scene in the movie um jamie bell plays it really well as a dad who like also kind of has his preconceptions about it and clearly like you know like shares some regret about the you know the stuff he said to him and the way he acted toward him you know he didn't know he was gay but you could tell like having regret about like how he went about things and how he didn't handle the bullying that adam dealt with as a child and things like that and they have like a you know uh, a teary-eyed like hug it's like really it's really nice it plays a little bit though it you know it does play a little bit um as like to a degree like perfect scenario type 
you know, like you just kind of, even though the the first the interaction of the mom is not like probably the the reaction you want, like it it does feel very like, um, you know, there's nuance to it, but it also it kind of feels like exactly like how you would probably play this out in your head, which is technically what he's doing. Um, and a lot of the movie, I, I don't want to spoil the ending. The movie go ends in a direction that I, I didn't dislike, but it just kind of left me with a with a weird impression of it um, that I felt like, like coming away from it. I really liked a lot of it, but the ending really just didn't work for me. Um, and it's based off of a short story or a book, I believe. Um, but it's just, I don't like, I, 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 again, I'm not, I don't know a lot about the book. I don't know if the character is gay in the book and that this is just how it ends, which would make more sense. But if it was, that's not the case in the book and like, Andrew Haig made these characters gay for this movie. And then that's how it end, ended. I kind of was like, I don't love that because we've seen that type of story a lot. Um, and so overall I'm positive on all of us strangers. I think um, it's definitely worth a watch. You have, you have four just like standout performances. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I guess I, I, I'm left kind of wanting a little bit more from it. Um, what type of story are you saying we have seen too much of already? Um, you just, it ends with, it ends with, you know, a gay character dying. Mm, okay. And That's so the, it's the barrier it, gaze trope. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it, and it's, and this one, it's not like the worst, um, offender of it. Like, I think, I think it, like the way it leads you in, like, you're like, Oh, okay. Like it's, but I, I was kind of going like, oh, okay, but that's a bummer. That's a mm -hmm. bummer that that's how it ends, you know? Um, because, you know, like I, I, the one I really hate recently is this is the movie Close that came out last year or the year before. And it's about this these kids and they're like best friends. But you can clearly tell that one of them um, is, is gay and... Or even you know, actually, even both of them are gay, and they're you know both like twelve you know twelve year old boys who you know there is like this kind of standoffishness because you know they're getting made fun of because of the way that they're acting towards each other, and one of the kids commits suicide like halfway through the movie, and you're just like and like it completely turned me off mm -hmm. for the rest of the movie because then the rest of the movie was just this kid having to process that, and I'm just like, and so I I kind of have. I don't know. I, I've gotten a little tired of the kill your gaze trope and feel like at this point we have a lot of those, like it's fine. Like, it's not like you have to rewrite movies, but at the same time, like, is there like, I guarantee there's other ways to tell stories, whether it's, you know, any, any sort of story in the LGBTQ plus spectrum that doesn't have to end with the character or end or begin or whatever with a character dying, you know, you know, we did a series about that. Yeah, actually. The Feel Good Queer Movies series, cinematary.com. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. I still recommend All of Us Strangers. I think, you know, the vibes are immaculate a lot of the time. So, um, that's cool. But it's on Hulu. So, check it out there. Um, nice. But yeah, Andrew, I'm going to toss it over to you. I don't know which one you want to talk about. But... Um, I'm going to try to very quickly do both. Um, so, I, for the last, last week, weekend, um, I had a little two nights back to back at Knoxville Central Cinema. Shout out to Central Cinema, a, a national treasure. We love it. Um, they're doing a series right now where they are um, honoring filmmakers who uh, are nominated for Oscars this year with by showing some of their past work. Um, so I caught for the first time uh, Sideways uh, by Alexander Payne, uh, starring Paul Giamatti. Uh, both of which are up for Oscars for uh, the holdovers. Great movie. Uh, mm -hmm. Me and me and Zach really enjoyed it at TIFF. Wrote a little review for the site, um, and I also caught uh, for like the fourth time uh, Lady Bird uh, by Greta Gerwig, um, who of course is up for Barbie. Actually, no, she's not up for Barbie, right? Uh, uh, no. Controversially, well, not America up Ferreira for is. Uh, well, no, she she. <laughs> Uh, the script is up for an Oscar, though. She wrote the script with no oh, one. Okay, okay. Gerwig can still win an Oscar. Um, but anyways, I'll start with Sideways. Um, this is a, a 2004 dramedy 
um, starring Paul Giamatti as a wine snob, <laughs> uh, yeah. which is a, a great uh, trope for him to play or archetype for him to play because he's just like uh, Perfectly miserable suited. enough, uh, miserable <laughs> yeah. and annoying enough for that. Uh, annoying is probably the wrong word. Bitter is the right word. He's pretty uh, annoying though too. <laughs> he's annoying. Yeah. It, it's kind of a movie about annoying people being annoying uh, mm -hmm. to one another in various ways, but he's going on a road trip um, with an old friend of his from college played by Thomas Hayden church. Who's like the polar opposite of him as a person. He's just like a total meathead. Um, they don't really seem to have anything in common. And it's kind of funny to watch them drink and talk about wine together. Uh, because Paul Giamatti will talk about like the tasting notes and things like that. And Thomas is just like, tastes pretty good to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of the movie consists of um, <clears throat> Thomas Hayden Church uh, trying to get Paul Giamatti laid uh, because Paul Giamatti is super divorced and hasn't been with anybody in a long time. Thomas Hayden Church is about to get married the next weekend and is also trying to get laid as like his last hurrah of freedom. Um, and they both have dalliances with uh, Virginia Madsen with Paul Giamatti and Sandra Oh for Thomas Hayden Church. Uh, Sandra Oh doesn't really get a whole lot to do in this movie other than be extremely hot, but she is extremely hot. Uh, that's that's kind of like the role that she is playing. Uh, bad Virginia, girl. She's a bartender bad girl with her motorcycle and everything. A single mom even. True, true. She's, she's plenty. No shade to any bartender bad girls uh, yeah, uh, no. <laughs> out there. Um, Virginia Madsen has more like speechifying to do, um, but it is very much like a, it's a very male movie and, and kind of about like male friendship and, and like the, the, I don't know. I wish it went a little bit harder in like the struggle of connection between male friends. Like I wish it was, it was more like a uh, Kelly Reichardt's old joy or something like that. Uh, I also kind of wish it went a little bit harder on the presence of alcoholism in the story. Um, you know, I, I going into it, knowing the premise I was kind of expecting that to be the focal point, uh, but it's really not. Um, it's it's more about um, I don't know uh, Paul Giamatti's sense of uh, self esteem and direction in life, and uh, you know he's also really wrapped up in this like book deal that he's trying to to make happen that ultimately falls apart. Um, and I also went into this um, wondering if you know the holdovers was was like i wasn't getting like the real alexander Payne. like this this is like you know the stuff he's doing now but you know he got famous for this stuff back in the early 2000s you need to go watch like the real stuff and you know i i felt that this was a little tepid in comparison to be honest i, I felt like his uh the writing was sharper the emotions were stronger um the cinematography felt more thoughtful in the holdovers um, than it did in Sideways. But Zach, you've seen this. Do you have any any quick thoughts on it? No, I like I like Sideways. Um, yeah, I like I like Sideways. He wrote this. He wrote Sideways though. He didn't write Holdovers. Oh, is so that, that true? Might, that might be something also. Yeah, he yeah because he and he's somebody who generally like writes his own stuff. That the mm. Holdovers was kind of like a weird outlier. Okay. Um, which might just kind of show that like he's a better director than a writer. I don't know. Um, sure. But I like I like holdovers. Like uh, Paul Giamatti's great is just kind of annoying. Thomas Hayden Church is just super funny. He's, he's probably like, the best part of the movie. He's really great. Yeah. He's like a he's like a he's like he has a little he has a little bit more to do than like his character in Wings, but it's very similar. It's just like a bim it's kind of like a himbo guy who's just like I'm just. I'm just here, you know, just yeah. being an idiot. Um, yeah. Uh, I remember in, in college for uh, one of the classes I took with Dr. Larson, he, we watched the, the scene where uh, it's Virginia Madsen and Paul Giamatti. And he's like talking about the wine tour. Um, it's like, it's, it's like scene where Paul Giamatti's talking about the wine. <laughs> Well, no, but there's like the one, and it's like them two together, and they're like out on like this kind of patio thing, and he's oh, like yeah. describing the wine. Um, mm -hmm. 
I think that's the first time I like saw anything from Sideways. No, it's I think it's I think it's good. Um, yeah, after recently seeing the holdovers, though, I like that better. Oh, and Grace, did you say you had seen it as well? Yeah, I've seen Sideways. I've seen um, I, I saw it twice. Um, the second time, I paid a little more attention to the care that they gave the wine and the writing. Like that scene that you're talking about, Zach, it makes me think that like, you know, as much as they're talking about the wine, the grape, they're talking about themselves. Paul Giamatti is a grape. He's going through his drought. And then, you know, what, you know, if we crush him up, like, you know, what comes out? And um, but everyone is pretty pathetic and they can all be kind of hard to like. They're all pretty unlikable. Again, with like the holdovers, everyone's a little more noble. There's a little more of a tug on your heartstrings. These are just kind of selfish people doing selfish things, justifying their actions, whatever they want um, to get what they want. Uh, But still very good, um, very affecting, very pretty, very um, scenic. I really liked, you know, traveling all through Napa Valley. It was gorgeous. Um, You know, I've seen that wine on and on about it. But (laughs) I've seen, I've seen that, uh, that like, not really complaint, but like, people pointing out about the holdovers how like like overall the characters are all like virtually like kind of good people and like not necessarily comparing it to sideways but just like yeah like like the point you made grace like they're all kind of shitty people to a degree um you know not not necessarily bad people but just making a lot of shitty decisions uh and so i don't know if that like people latch onto that more than like the holdovers which seems more like tidy and like good I mean, the holdovers, I think the characters have noble intentions ultimately, but like as a teacher, I can't look at Paul Giamatti's character in the holdover and be like, oh yeah, that guy's on the up and up, like 100%. (laughs) That's that's how teachers should act. (laughs) Um, But anyways, uh, I should should switch. Were you going to say something, Grace? Oh, Um, no, not really. Okay. Okay. Well, I will also give a shout out to Lady Bird which just continues to absolutely rock. It's such a good movie. Um, crazy that it came out like seven years ago. Um, it, it seems like so, so much, so it's such a recent release to me, but um, this movie holds up. If you haven't seen it since it came out in theaters, you should definitely go back and rewatch it. It is uh, just incredibly witty, uh, incredibly watchable. Um, and, like it just moves like the editing in Lady Bird is so good. Um, it is, is like sprinting through a school year. Um, and, and it just kind of moves so fluidly from scene to scene and from season to season. I actually noticed at one point there is, um, there's a moment where you hear an audio cue, um, that doesn't, that you don't actually see the visual that, that goes along with the audio cue until you've kind of, watched two other like super fast scenes you know that leading up to it um the way this movie is edited together is like there are some scenes that are just scenes but there are actually a lot uh of of just kind of these little snapshots of like here's this little drama exercise they're doing in theater and then here's here's another one and here's another one here's another one like rapid fire um and like it's all kind of like strewn together with these great uh, like needle drops as well. Um, mm. I really like the the way in which she uses the uh, the Dave Matthews Band uh, needle drop uh, throughout to you know I don't, make some sort of statement about like the way we think about like high culture and low culture and the way that individual people uh, you know engage with art and find meaning in it um, and. Yeah, I, I don't really have all that much to say about it other than this This movie still slaps. Um, Greta Gerwig is the real one, and uh, I hope she's able to continue making uh, actually good movies into the future. Not to say that Barbie wasn't a good movie, but I am a little um, little worried about the like Chronicles of Narnia thing if she's doing it <laughs> on Netflix. There, that does not bode well, <laughs> I don't think. Yeah. I, uh, I rewatched this recently because I also rewatched Lady or Little Little Women for the first time since like it had come out. Also both so are just good. also just both really really good movies, and yeah, it it made me it made me not like dislike Barbie. Like I still think Barbie is is solid. I but I was kind of just disappointed by it because like 
Lady Bird and Little Women, like you talked about, like it, they're edited so crisply, like it just mm -hmm. like scoots. And Barbie doesn't have that. I don't know if that's because it's you know you got you know the studio involvement or it's, yeah, it's, it feels like a editor. very compromised movie. Yeah, and so like I don't really falter for that. That's fine. Um, but but also you just have like this really like curious, um, assured, like very confident energy. Um, in these movies and you have that as well in Barbie like she's super confident through that movie but like because those the, I think Little Women and Lady Bird are coming from different places you know it's not they're not you know big blockbuster studio movies like there's something much more um, much more like relatable to the confidence that like makes it uh, feel like it just it, they just go so smoothly um, and yeah I hope that you know I get it get, get that money get that green but like I do hope that she finds her way back to like these kind of smaller movies. Cause I think that both of those are like just really, really strong. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't even have to be that small, right? Like little women is a, a pretty big movie in terms of like number of big names on screen. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's an adaptation of a, a major IP that a lot of people know. Um, it, the, the, period costuming and and staging is all like really elaborate and beautiful but it is like committed to the cinema of it all like every step yeah. of the way and you know barbie is too for sure it, it's it's doing a different uh thing with the campy production design um but it also like just doesn't feel as as um like tight and is focused on like a script level uh, to me because it's having to do like the franchise or IP corporate thing. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll see if she's, if she's able to uh, kind of stick to her guns uh, cinematically speaking. But uh, I think that Greta Gerwig is like an insanely talented uh, director. And uh, oh, in addition to the ones we've been talking about, Lady Bird and, and Little Women, I think that, a lot of her um, prior collaborations with Noah Baumbach, like yeah. uh, Frances Ha and uh, Mistress America, are she kind of deserves authorship on those movies too, and mm -hmm. um, it is like such a huge part of why they work. So if people have not seen those and they're they're Greg Gerwig heads now, then they should they should get those out as well. I'm surprised Francis. I mean, I think people definitely dig Francis Ha, but like the people who dig Francis Ha have a Criterion Collection, yeah, subscription. <laughs> you know, I, I I'm so, I wish Francis Ha was a little bit more like widely widely beloved because I'm like, yeah, that movie kind of has you know, it, it's it's almost like Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird to a degree, like in terms of like for her as an actress. I mean, it also feels like a um, Lady Bird in a way kind of feels like a prequel to yeah. Francis Ha, you know, they're both of those characters are very autobiographical. It feels like, but there's kind of uh, snapshots of different stages of her life. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. That's all I got. Cool. All right. Well, we're going to be taking a short break and then we're going to be, what's the, what, what all about Eve reference can I make? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. That's, that's, that's coming later. I had that planned. All right. We're going to go into part two. <laughs> we're talking all about Eva. And we're back with part two of episode 469 of Cinematary. And buckle up, kids. Buckle up your <laughs> buckle your seatbelts. We're gonna have a bumpy podcast. <laughs> wow. I think that... Grace did a better. Yeah, she really did a jump in on though. Really <laughs> I think it's fascinating. I don't think you Is buckle it... I think you fasten. Oh, fast, fasten your seatbelts. It's gonna be yeah. a bumpy podcast. <laughs> All right. Alabama, 1950. Written and directed by Joseph Mankiewicz. The film stars Betty Davis and Baxter. George Saunders, uh, Celeste Holm, Gary Merrill, and Thelma Ritter. Any any movie where Thelma Ritter is just kind of like, you know what, I know more than you, is a great movie. <laughs> that, that should be a letterbox list of Thelma, movies with Thelma Ritter kind of knowing knowing what's going on before any of the characters do. True. Um, backstage. Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, Marilyn Monroe. Her debut. 
Uh, oh, it's her debut. I didn't know that. That's what I read. Um, this is a backstage story revolving around aspiring actress Eve Harrington. Tattered and forlorn Eve shows up in the dressing room of Broadway megastar Margot Channing, telling a melancholy life story to Margot and her friends. Margot takes Eve under her wing, and it appears that Eve is a conniver that uses Margot. Mary Orr adapted her short story, The Wisdom of Eve, into a radio play before selling the film rights. It aired on NBC's Radio City Playhouse in 1949, starring Claudia Morgan and Marilyn er Erskine. Orr received no on-screen or official credit for her story, which 20th Century Fox purchased for $3,500. Uh, in 1951, the screenplay of All About Eve was published in, in book form, and according to 20th Century, 20th Century Fox Records, uh, screenwriter-director Joseph Mankiewicz received two-thirds of the profit, with Orr receiving one-third. Uh, Orr revealed in an October 1950 Variety article that the story was inspired by the actual experience of Polish-born actress Elizabeth Bergner. Uh, who had once befriended an unscrupulous young actress. In a uh, modern interview, however, Orr noted that, quote, Eve Harrington was a combination of many young act actresses I had met, including a great deal of myself. Um, in another interview, Mankiewicz disclosed the archetype for the character Margot Channing was 18th century English actress Peg Woffington, uh, adding that she represented, quote, every woman who, for whom acting was identical with existence. Um, some reviews claim that Betty Davis based her Margot characterization or on husky-voiced star Tallulah, Bankart, Tallulah Bankhead, and despite uh, Davis's denials, these rumors persisted. In an, in an interview, Davis said, quote, Tallulah herself, more than anyone else, accused me of imitating her as Margot Channing. The problem was that I had no voice at all when I started filming All About Eve. Due to the emotional stress as a result of, uh, she was going through a divorce at the time. Uh, this gave me the famous Husky Bankhead voice. Otherwise, I don't think the similarity to Bankhead in my performance would ever have been thought of. Uh, the character of uh, critic Addison DeWitt was widely believed to have been based on New York critic George Jean Nathan, but Mankiewicz maintained that there was, quote, no basis for a serious identification of the real and fictional critics. Uh, Mankiewicz invented both the Sarah Siddons uh, Society and the Sarah Siddons Award for the film. To his surprise, the award that he, quote, dreamed up as an object of satire was taken seriously. And in 1952, a real Saracen society inspired by the English tragic actress was founded in Chicago. The first Saracen's Award, which was an exact replica of the statuette used in the film, was bestowed on Helen Hayes. Uh, Mankiewicz and producer Daryl Zanuck uh, initially considered Susan Hayward for the role of Margot, but decided she was not old enough. Claudette Colbert was cast as Margot in February of 1950, but was forced to withdraw from the production when she injured her back. Zanuck then suggested casting uh, Marlena Dietrich as Margot, Jeanne Crane as Eve, John Garfield as Bill Sampson, and Jose Ferrer as uh, Addison DeWitt. Uh, Mankiewicz sought noted stage actress Gertrude Lawrence for the role of Margot, but her attorney insisted the screenplay be changed so that uh, she did not smoke or drink in the picture and would sing a torch song about Bill in the party scene. <laughs> Zanuck also sought Ingrid Bergman to replace Colbert, but the actress refused to leave Italy where she was living for the production. Uh, during filming, Davis and co-star Gary Merrill, who was married at the time, became romantically involved. Davis and Merrill married in Julie, July, uh, Julie, July 1950 and was adopted a baby girl whom they named Margot. Uh, with the release of All About Eve, 20th Century Fox inaugurated a revolutionary scheduled performances screening policy, which required exhibitors to show the film only at designated times with no late seating. The purpose, quote, the purpose is to make patrons see the picture from the beginning so that they may fully understand and enjoy the proceedings, and thus give it favorable word-of-mouth advertising. The studio was also stipulated in its exhibition contracts that the film received single billing. No other feature-length picture could be shown on the same program. This policy was tested at the film's world premiere run at New York's Roxy, but after a week of scheduled performances, the Roxy reverted to the established practice of running the film continuously and permitting patrons to enter at any time. Uh, according to an October 18, 1950 news item in The Hollywood Reporter, quote, confusion arose because of the public's deeply uh, ingrained habit of going to a movie show at any desired hour when most convenient mm. or on impulse. Uh, the New York Times in 1950 said, although the title character, the self-seeking ruthless Eve, 
who would make a Black Widow spider look like a ladybug, is the motivating figure in the story. It is played by Ann Baxter with icy calm. The focal figure and most intriguing character is the actress whom Betty Davis plays. This lady, an aging acid creature with a, a, a cankerous ego and a stinging tongue, is the end all of Broadway disenchantment, and Miss Davis plays her to a fare thee well. Uh, the New Yorker in 1950 said, Betty Davis finally has a part that permits her to demonstrate in her high voltage style that when her talents are applied to something worthwhile, she can really bring a great deal of authority to bear. Uh, purportedly a woman of 40 in love with a younger man, Miss Davis, often in unflattering makeup, jumps from comedy to pathos to hysteria with, other, with utter uh, confidence. And she winds up by transforming a most difficult character into a lady who, however shrilly emotional commands, uh, commands the uh, sympathy of one and all. And Roger Ebert in 2000 said, growing older was a smart career move for Betty Davis, whose personality was adult, hard-edged, and knowing. Never entirely comfortable as an ingenue, she was glorious as a professional woman, a survivor, or a bitchy predator. Her veteran actress Margot Channing in All About Eve was her greatest role. It seems to show her defeated by the wills of a young, younger actress, but in fact marks a victory, the triumph of personality and will over the superficial power of beauty. She never played a more autobiographical role. All right, and on that note, all about Eve. Um, Grace, I guess I'll toss it over to you first. Sure, where to begin? Um, I'll just say that um, this is a second watch for me. I simply adore it. I'm all about Eve. I'm all about Betty. I'm all about Margot. Um, this is such an interesting anti-Hollywood film. It's so mm -hmm. pro theater. It's so um, disparaging of the industry. And this feels like such a departure and a farewell. From I mean, I don't really know what's going on with um, Mankiewicz at this point, but I know what's going on with Betty at this point. And it feels like it is her farewell and departure from the uh, film industry in Hollywood and th this her embracing um, what independent filmmaking or what independent theater um, or an independent life for her could represent. Um, at this point in her career, she has broken her contract with Warner Brothers. She's left Warner Brothers. She's going through a very public divorce and a very public marriage, very quick marriage too. Um, it was a very public divorce from her third husband, William Grant Sherry. The two had just recently had a baby together, Barbara Davis. So BD. So, you know, she really loves herself. So <laughs> give her own child her initials. But um, so they had just had a baby. She had just returned to Hollywood and um, was looking to really sink her teeth into these serious roles. And Margot is that. Margot is the role that she has always wanted or she's always fought her entire career to play. And she's finally mature enough to play that because in Now Voyager, she plays such a mature woman going through mature change, life changes. And she's very young and it's like a, and it's like a costume, it, it, you know? So to see her um, finally fully suited for the part that she plays is very refreshing. And um, she plays it so well, she wears it so well. This is definitely her movie. Um, and, you know, though she isn't in all of it. And I, then the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, great. I'm ready to learn all about Eve. And I thought that Eve was Betty's character. And I was surprised mm -hmm. to learn that she's playing someone else. And so I had to quick adjust to that. Um, but. I love that the poster is like a bunch of arrows pointing at Ann Baxter um, with Betty Davis off to the side. But as great as Ann Baxter is in this movie, I completely agree that like it, is Betty Davis's movie. She just like commands uh, your attention every time she's on screen. And um, it, it's such a, a great witty script with, with such like amazing repartee between all the actors and, and, and Betty Davis just like gets so many amazing, just venomous lines. Like everything that comes out of her mouth is so cruel and, but delivered like so perfectly. 
Um, and it is kind of a shame when we lose sight of her about, you know, 75% uh, of the way through the movie. But I also kind of like how the movie is this ever shifting, ever evolving thing. It, it's, it's kind of like a mystery, but it's not any kind of mystery that we're really all that acquainted with. Um, it, it, there's not really another movie quite like it. Um, uh, it's just such a unique, a uniquely shaped thing. Um, so I guess I, um, if, if it was just Betty Davis's movie, um, all the way through, like, you know, now Voyager, for example, um, you know, or for as uh, non-traditional as that movie's structure is, I think that it would be a little bit more, um, ordinary if we were just following her the whole time. Yeah, I was I was thinking about it today. This is the second time I'd seen this movie. Um, mm -hmm. And I was thinking about it this morning. And I don't think I could recall a scene from the movie, even though I had like seen it before. Mm -hmm. um, that's just more a fault of my own. Um, and so it was like this watching it this time. Um, you know, I think it, it, it just hit a lot more impactfully. I agree. Andrew with what uh how you kind of describe it it's it does feel very much like it starts out like as kind of like a whodunit because you have like this voiceover and it's very like coy and you don't know like who it's really talking to and it's like going to these different faces and then like this yeah. award being given the narration kind of also shifts at multiple points like sometimes we're getting um what's her name is it Karen Karen, Karen. Yeah. yeah and sometimes we're getting the critic character narrating to us yeah, so never getting either of our like protagonist characters narrating. Interestingly, it's always kind of from an outside perspective. Yeah, it's never Eve or Margot, and and like the character of Eve and Baxter's really good, but like it's like she's she never. You're you're always kind of at like as another person observing Eve. You know, Eve's always kind of distant, and like that's what kind of makes her character very interesting. But at the same time, like to your point, like. Betty Davis and Margot kind of disappear to a degree, like 75% into the movie, but she hangs over everything. Like, right. like, like she just really commands and hangs over the movie, even when she's not on screen. Yeah. When we circle back around to the frame device at the beginning of the movie um, and you, you just see, she gets like one more line or something uh, congratulating uh, Eve on her win. But you also see that shot of her, uh, just kind of like looking up with her cigarette, uh, uh, kind of, you know, bemused uh, as as Eve is like thanking her and her uh, 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 acceptance speech. Um, and because of kind of the weight that her character um, has kind of accumulated over the course of the movie, that that kind of takes on a new light um, as well. Yeah. Very much. Uh, Margo is just so theater and then um and, and sorry one thing that i really enjoyed is that we don't see margot ever give a performance because her just being herself is an entire production mm -hmm. and but everything that eve does is a performance there's always some sort of a monologue some sort of a story for her to tell to sort of get right. lost in and sort of charm her listeners her audience and sway them she is so cunning um and so careful but there was something so Oh, with, like she said it, she admitted it from the very beginning when she's, I used to make believe a lot. And sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. what was, what was make believe felt more real than what was real and what was real felt more like, make so it's like, mm -hmm. even you get a feeling that even to her that she can't even really distinguish it herself. Maybe she isn't so uh, sure of what her truth is, but um, I guess the truth for her is like whatever it is she wants in that moment. And it's the, you know, it's the men in front of her. It's the connections that they offer. It's mm -hmm. the chance up the ladder that they provide her. And then there's also this really like interesting sort of like using your femininity to get what you want and mm -hmm. you lose your femininity to tackle this world. When Margot says that, 
you know, funny the things that you leave behind so you can climb up the ladder faster. And one of the things you leave behind is being a woman. But like Eve is always constantly like putting her femininity, her womanhood on display, this like younger womanhood that she has to offer. And that's mm -hmm. more exciting, the shiny newness. A lot going on, but um just the 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 um the two our two main leads are just so unique yeah and special. i feel like there's so many like different directions that i, I want to go after after that, those points grace but i guess circling back to um the the speech the monologue uh that eve gives when we when we first have her meet um betty davis's character uh, I, I love that monologue. I think it's so interesting. Um, I, it's uh, it's a case of a actor having to play a character who themselves is acting and has to give a compelling and persuasive performance, but also has to leave just a hint of like, is she making this up though? And and uh, the the beginning of the movie introducing us to her as a accomplished actor um, kind of preps you to um, think about, you know, her as someone with acting skills uh, that you should therefore kind of be skeptical of at any moment. Like when is she employing uh, those acting skills? It's very much like a movie about uh, performance and theater. I'm actually surprised that no one quotes the all the world's a stage uh, Shakespeare line at one point or another. Uh, but there is also that, uh, that, that, um, speech from, um, oh, I forget which, um, the, the writer or no, the director guy, um, who's talking about like, you know, theater, what you think of as theater is like your theater, but you know, all these things are theater. TV is theater. Looney Tunes are theater. Ever, uh, you know, sock puppets are theater. Punch and Judy. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, but she knows very well at that moment, right. That she's, playing a role um, and, you know, do uh, saying things in order to uh, uh, play off of other people. Um, but, you know, the other, the other thing you mentioned about like using femininity in those performances, um, I think this is a really interesting, like quasi feminist text. I would be curious to, to hear your thoughts on it, Grace, like how much, feminism do you see in this movie because it's it simultaneously feels to me um like it is um this you know eviscerating takedown of the way that these entertainment industries are kind of like um consuming and expending like the uh the the youthful beauty of young women and just like you know, trading them in for younger models um but also kind of trafficking in this somewhat sexist trope of like you know well what did she do to get to the top you know she she must have uh, just slept with somebody to to get to where she is it's not actual uh talent or drive or whatever um but i mean it, it's kind of both of those things i don't know what do you think um that's a hard question i don't know if i really picked up on that um in either of my watches i don't i don't know if that's i mean i guess it's kind of something that's always on my mind i look at the female friendships and the way that um between birdie and Margot, and then with the introduction of Anne, how she kind of usurps birdie of her role as confidant and friend so then i look at that dynamics but i don't i i couldn't dissect the feminism there and that um mm -hmm. but just just really like what I said earlier about just picking up on um, age, femininity, um, and uh, maturity. That's just like the big sticking point. You know, she can pretend to play these parts. She can make believe, Margot can make believe that she's as young as 20 on the stage. Is, and also maybe, you know, the theater kind of affords the bigger suspension like of disbelief. A distance. Yeah. yeah so, so she's able to pull that off. And then um, with in Hollywood, it's very much a youth culture, a young woman culture. Um, so I, I don't know that that's tricky. I'll have to think a little more on that. Yeah. Well, and it's also, it's interesting. Um, 
because the, I think the relationship between theater and movies is also fascinating because um, you think about any, any sort of like form of media like that, like movies is very much working off of the theater, you know, like that's kind of, it's mm-hmm. that, that's kind of what it originated from similar to like how t- TV originated out of movies um, and like video games kind of originate out of movies to a degree, at least on like the bigger scale. And so like, to me, like that was kind of fascinating this, this relationship between the movies and, and theater um, because they're two like they're similar, but two wildly different things. And um, you know, it's kind of interesting that you need, you, you see neither of their performances, but you like the performances that they're giving outside of like the theater stage um, feel theatrical yes but also very like akin to movies like they feel in a way that like the camera is on them um which is very you know specific to the movies compared to to theater i think i think that eve gives more of a film performance that's very it's all right here it's all in her place it's very close they have these medium to close-ups and then mar and then betty and margo gives much more theatrical like stage performances she's she is playing for the person in the back row to hear and see and feel her pain there even seem to be like some moments of her even like directing herself after her big blow up between her and bill when she's sitting on the stage and the audition has just happened as he's walking away you can kind of see like part of her hand as she it like it's she counts out his steps to make sure that he's like not off stage yet and then mm-hmm. signals to herself so she's directing herself she's playing herself but her her world is theater eve's is to film to you know mm-hmm. the next applause and and also there's seems to be a less respect for the craft from Eve than from Margot. Sure. Well. That's, the, yeah. Yeah. that's why it's like that it's like kind of it's similar in like the handoff between you know like if this if she if Eve signals like the next wave, you know, that like like this is the next great, you know like that makes sense that she has a very movie star performance because the future you know the future's in movies um yeah like like you you kind of have that there (laughs) and um to me like like this is kind of an interesting theater to movies transition movie because yeah i I agree i think it's kind of you know it's it's very much in the realm of even even i i feel like in 1950 it's i don't think there's like unless you're in new york there's like a more people are going to have access to go see a movie than a Broadway play, you know? So um, it's just a lot more accessible. I liked this world though, that this takes place in because it also Mm -hmm. kind of felt like theater is everything and it minimizes film. Like when Addison says in that first monologue, he's like, you know, for that award show for that film society that they hand out. Um, And then at the very end with um, you know, the new Eve sort of coming up the ladder, um, who's obsessed and a high schooler. And she, you know, stakes out Eve's apartment. She's a part of the Eve Harrington Society and that all the high schools have this. And it felt like there was this sort of like interesting little world happening. Mm-hmm. So, almost like a little science fiction. Like this isn't the real world that we know that where like theater reigns supreme and that it is the end all be all form of art and, and high art and mm-hmm. accessible art. Um, the way that like theater is for us. Um, so this, you know, it's so unique to, 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 you know, step inside that. Yeah. Um, it feels very modern. Um, yeah. The, it, it feels like it's chronicling this uh, paradigm shift from like a world where people w- went into this entertainment industry because they wanted to be artists to one where people enter it because they just want to be famous, mm-hmm. uh, which I feel like is uh so much more, uh, you know, you, you can you can see the uh, the connections more to like influencer culture in the 21st century than I think of like 1950s golden age of Hollywood uh, kind of thing. Um, but no, it's a good yeah. point because you I mean you think, especially in the last scene with with Phoebe when she's in the apartment, like because Eve 
right there's there's still like a drama to eve you know there's still like a you know she's like in the rain like hiding like is margot channing there you know like there's like, <laughs> there's like a drama to it and like in, in the whole like kind of meeting feels much more like much more uh dramatized than like i mean she's in her apartment but like the way the way eve kind of interacts with her and then you know it takes eve at least in our perception like it takes eve a number of weeks before you see her looking at herself in the costume and phoebe mm -hmm. is immediately like you know picking up the outfit and looking at herself and and then it, it you know it goes right. into the into the shot of just the the mirror shot of phoebe amazing because it's just like yeah like they're just out there they're all over i wonder if Zach, you said you feel like you didn't remember any scenes from this movie, um, despite having seen it before. And and that was true for me as well. Like I knew kind of the broad strokes of of this being mm -hmm. about um, you know, a a up-and-coming young ingenue kind of replacing an old guard actress, but I didn't remember any scenes. And I I wonder if that is because the movie just isn't super interested in visuals a lot of the time like it is very theatrical it's it's about dialogue it's about yeah. banter yeah. um but that last shot though like that's movies that that's that they created an image that is uh you know a, a perfect uh crystallization of like all the ideas uh, that this movie is exploring. And I, I just love that image. I That was the one thing that I remembered most vividly about it was the last shot. Yeah, I would say that's that, that's true. That, that's probably why I don't, because like, I'm kind of like Denny Villeneuve in that interview he did this week where he was just like, yeah, like movies are about images, man. Like it's not about the talking. Mm -hmm. Like that's right. what you, th you think of an image in a movie. You think of like what something looked like. That That's why you watch movies. Exactly. And so right. I think that's kind of, Again, like, like to me, I don't know. I'm very like stringent on like movies do this. Like, this is what movies do. This is what books do. This is what theater does. This right. is you know. And so I'm just like, yeah, like that's what I'm going to remember. Like, are there great lines? A hundred percent. Like Betty Davis is like tossing them out, like at a speed that Groucho Marx would be jealous of. Yeah, so many um, that you can't remember any of them because there exactly. are too many to hold in your brain. It's, yeah, yeah. It's like, like like she would have fit in in Duck Soup. Like it's it's fantastic. But like. But yeah, like there's no, there's, there's, there's last, I mean, there are great images in this, but nothing as like permeating as the last one. Grace, you were going to say something? Oh no, I just wanted to try and see if I could rattle off any Betty Davis lines. <laughs> uh, I'll admit I'm a little more mature, but I'm still not to be had for the price of a cocktail. <laughs> peanut. Like that, or, um. Terms are too high. Unconditional surrender. That. Oh, you know, maybe now I have some more thoughts on feminism and, you know, what it means to be a woman. Yeah, but, go off. <laughs> no, but, you know, it was, I I definitely, I latched on to a lot of what was said. This was a lot meatier and juicier text than what we get. Um, you know, really a talkie and I don't know, like if we're to compare, you know, if this is a whole series on Betty and Joan and we compare the two, there's a reason why Betty is the actress and Joan is the star. So then mm -hmm. would Joan be our Eve and Betty's still Margot? Maybe. Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, you know, like I, I like when I was doing the research and they were talking about like Claudette Colbert or Marlena Dietrich or uh susan hayward like as the Margot character it's like yeah but like those are those are at least especially like all three of them are like movie stars like those are movie right. stars mm -hmm. but like this is like this isn't a movie star role like this is right. as, as you were talking about before grace like this is somebody you got to be able to like throw it like just just throw out lines and it's very dictatorial and it's just very like you're chewing up scenery as you would in a play like it's not a it's not really a movie yeah, as much as I like Marlena Dietrich, I'm I'm glad that this is a Betty Davis movie and not a Marlena Dietrich movie. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, me too. So be Marlena Dietrich, yeah, she would be she would be she would be amazing. But yeah, yeah, no, it's just and so yeah, like this is you know like Betty Betty could do possessed, but Joan couldn't do all of it. Couldn't do <laughs> you all know? Of no, definitely not. No, like. 
like this is like this is kind of if you're like if you're kind of like comparing the two you're going like yeah this is the one that sets one of them apart because she the other could not do this role yeah um it would be tough she got nominated um, for this one this was an oscar nomination for wait Betty. what did she lose to um i julie holiday movie i think is what it, i i'm no i'm serious like i was looking it up and i'm like what the who is that i don't know um but it was this so is why weird. like in two weeks when the oscars happen i don't care because yeah like, I don't yeah, know. She was, she, yeah she was nominated for this like that oh, was, yeah, and it was a it broke records it was a, a the most nominations yeah. for any movie best ever best picture that best director best yeah. supporting actor best actress well best it won best actress. picture oh, that's cool. yeah, yeah. Well, it's a very, it's a very, like, best, you know, and best supporting even, actor, George Sanders, even though, Addison DeWitt. Even though it's like a, even though it's like a, we don't watch that, like a kind of a theater movie, like it's still a very like Hollywood movie. Cause I mean, you got like Joseph Mankiewicz making it and Betty Davis in it. And like, like, but you know, you got big, like old, old, old Hollywood names attached to it. So many olds. Sense. I don't know if Betty would like how many you used just then. <laughs> old, old, <laughs> prehistoric Hollywood. Okay, we get it. She's 40. <laughs> Give my girl a break. There was something so, oh, just so beautiful to see her in all of her glory with her wrinkles and you know a little bit of saggy just like her natural beauty and age mm-hmm. and maturity that like catch had like caught up to her and just to make her all the more distinguished and i mean like i believed every second that uh gary merrill or yeah said that he was in love as bill Saft. i mean like he was because they were having an affair but i mean look at her she's beautiful yeah yeah no she's great in it so, uh, so, any last thoughts on on all about Eve? If you would I like to watch that, it, um, you know, we say this occasionally. I, I'm sure that th- there are very few people listening to our podcasts who don't already like watch old movies habitually. But I think this is one of um, one of a, a, a select few like really great like introductory old Hollywood movies. I think you could show this to just about anybody um, without them having a lot of familiarity with like the 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 rhythms of an old hollywood movie and uh they would find it engaging and, and exciting um it's just uh it holds up so incredibly well um and, and this it kind of stands out among um older hollywood films as just kind of having a certain um i don't know uh unpredictability and and like uh, vivacity to it. Uh, there's just so much, um, like, so, so much life to that screenplay. Kind of larger than life, really. Um, kind of impossible not to like, I think. Yeah. Grace. No, Last I have thought. nothing left to say. I left it all on the court, Coach. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, not not, but I I co-sign what you say, Andrew. If you have not seen it, um, you can rent it at your local library, or they have, a, they have a wonderful cut of it on archive.org that you can use to watch for free. So, check out. I don't know. It's it it's longer than you expect. I forgot how long it is. <laughs> it's two and a half hours. Yeah, but it, yeah. it kind of speeds like by. Yeah. yeah, it it flies, but I but like I. I I cranked it up and I was just like, that's that long. Mm-hmm. Mainly because like in terms of movies around this period, you're just, they're like, it's generally not that long. It's 90 minutes tops. Yeah. They just had a lot to put in. There's, you know, it's all about Eve guys, not some of Eve. That's right. I actually really not like it in the first Eve. scene. <laughs> they say, we'll, we'll learn about Eve. We'll all about Eve. All in fact. <laughs> it was real like Leo, you know, Leo in one spot of time, like pointing at the screen, like, yeah. Um, all right. Well, that'll wrap up this episode of Cinematary. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Cinematary or on Twitter and Instagram at, at, at Cinematary to learn more there um go over to letterbox we list all the movies that we talked about in this episode on letterbox.com slash cinematary and if you'd like to support the show uh patreon.com slash cinematary uh thank you to our patrons cam ron hayes tanner huskins risa marthathi and tyler chandler we appreciate 
your patronage. Um, next week, we're going to be wrapping it all up. We're going to be... It's Godzilla gonna be, versus King Kong. No! <laughs> <laughs> it's Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, uh, starring both Betty and Joan. Um, so stick around for that episode. Thank you for listening. We'll see you then.